right, good afternoon. And thanks for joining us again for another edition of the Strategy Stack at Luke Talks About Money. Uh, this afternoon, we thought it'd be important to have a session with the Trilogy because obviously with people being laid off or having reduced work hours, people's home loans, mortgages, and, and some of the government initiatives have really become very, very important for a lot of people out there. So we're very lucky to uh, find out at this time so we can have a chat about the indications of people. Um, and what we're going to do today is we're going to break down three general scenarios in relation to I've lost my job completely, how can I keep my mortgage payment going and how will the bank look at me? We'll then move into I've had a reduction in my work hours because I'm not doing full-time employment and how that affects me borrowing my existing loans. And obviously the things that people should be looking at in the current environment, given how should in light of the current environment that we're playing in. Um, and how somebody like Dave can make the most of your existing positions and give you some ideas, some trips and some traps in relation to what the bank is going to want to see and also uh, how you can make the most of your current position in light of obviously COVID-19 and the impact on uh, your ongoing cash flow. So Dave, thanks very much for joining us, mate. I really appreciate your time as always. Thanks for having me. That's okay. Um, mate, why don't we start, just tell people a little bit about Trilogy you know, the business, how you operate, because obviously we know each other quite well because we do a fair bit of work together. But for the, for the benefit of the listeners out there on the podcast, just bring us up to speed on, on Trilogy, what you specialise in and obviously how you add value to people's current position. Yeah, sure. So Trilogy is a residential mortgage broker. We've been in Canberra since about 2003. Um, we, we've got a, we're a reasonably busy brokerage. Um, and the reason I say that is because we have a, a very diverse array of clients. Everything, we specialise in property investors, but we've got you know, older clients through to younger clients, and we've got really clients in kind of all demographics and all age groups. So what that means is myself and my team, they bring a bit of a wealth of knowledge in this specific uh, section uh, of the market. We can, we can give good feedback to clients as far as, What's going on? Um, just because of the volume of loans that we see and the, the broad spectrum of lending that we do in regards to residential lending, a little bit of commercial lending um, and some, some leasing options as well. So, um, but obviously today we're going to have a chat about residential lending, um, not only for occupiers, but also for property investors. Awesome. Well, as I say, you know, I, I get on the phone to you regularly because we obviously have clients with you know, a range of different needs. And I generally make the, I make the joke that if you can't get the loan, it can't be got. So, you know, I don't like on the spot all the time, but you, you know, generally, deliver, you know, it makes me look good, 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 good and everybody stays happy. Yeah, either can't be got or shouldn't be got, one or the other. Yeah. There's a very big difference between the two. Let's just say like that right off the bat. Um, all right, well, look, that's awesome. Um, so with that in mind, if, if we break down those three scenarios that I touched on a little bit earlier, so what we'll, what we'll come out to the first one and say is, right, I've had a severe decrease in my ongoing income. Um, I've got car loans, I've got a mortgage, I've got payments that are going on and you know, I'm at home worried about what could happen and what the bank's gonna do and the, the things that are gonna impact me um, whilst I either get a new job or my occupation is brought back into you know, a, a tradable environment. Um, We've got three or four key things here that you know you and I have discussed, and I think we, if we work through them, we can shed a little bit of light around how people can deal with things, how the bank will view their position, um, and obviously some paperwork and the T's and C's that we need to keep in mind. So, you know, 
if you are in a position where you have had a severe reduction in your ongoing income, um, how is that going to affect uh, somebody's credit score? Yeah, I think the first and foremost thing is if you have had one of these life-changing events due to, um, to COVID-19, the first thing is don't panic, okay? The, the, all the lenders, or the majority of lenders have all come out with some form of um, policy statement in regards to having the ability to put repayments on hold for three months or six months and having that not adversely affect your credit score or having that not be reported as a arrears repayment or as a default on your loan. So um, my advice is if this is causing you, you're in a position now and you've had a severe decrease in income, reach out early and don't default. Talk to your lender, communicate with your lender. All of the lenders have internet banking, um, separate uh, uh, landing pages on your internet banking where you can log in, you can uh, put in your client details, you can list what loans you would like to put a payment hold on and lodge a case number and your lender will get back to you within 24 to 48 hours um, to discuss putting those payments on hold for three months or for six months. Um, and you can put on home loan payments, investment loans, business loans, uh, car loans, personal loans and credit cards. So you can literally, if disaster has happened, you can literally put a stop to everything um, to get yourself back on your feet. Now, usually when you can't make payments, that's an immediate into arrears or it's an immediate into default and that immediately causes, you know, deferred rate of interest and things like that and that's not happening at this point in time. So my first thing is don't panic, lodge your, lodge your um, inquiry with your lender, explain to them your circumstances and take advantage of these don't go into default and then try and do this, okay? Just attack it up front. If you do that in the sequence that they have suggested, then it will have a minimal impact on your credit score. So how the key thing with this is how is it being reported? So if Luke Smith's got a home loan and, uh, and Luke Smith's lender is part of open data, they are reporting on a monthly basis every month to Equifax or to the, the credit file um, uh, companies that you are making a payment on your loan. So there is a reported payment that goes on open data and on your credit, for, uh, credit score and on your credit file. If no payment's being made, obviously it's going to, or most likely, depending on the lender, will show up as a non-payment for those period of months, um, but it will not show up as a, a judgment, a default, an arrear, and, and really when future lenders are looking at your credit score in 12 months' time or in two years' time or in three years' time, the first thing that they go to is, does Luke have any defaults? Does he have any arrears? Does he have any court judgments? And putting your payments on hold does not incur, it does not create any of those things. So right. it is safe to put your payments on hold. It will not affect you long-term. Obviously, there is the instance where it may show in your credit report that you stopped your payments 
and that's true because you did. Um, so that should be listed, but it's not something to be very, very concerned about. Right, and I think that's really in line. We caught up with Jonathan Colbrand last week from RSM, and we talked about bankruptcy and and liquidation and things of that nature. And the one thing that we took from that session was get in front of it, get in front of it, be proactive and be proactive. And this is a very similar theme now. The banks have been very understanding in relation to the current environment that people are facing. Um, but obviously there is a process to follow and we'll get engaged in that and, and keep people informed. At the end of the day, the bank doesn't want to take your assets and the bank doesn't want to be in a position where they're going to take something or, or, or you know, work through that, that default environment. So I think that is, is, is very, very important for people to keep in mind. Everybody's in the same boat here. Everybody's trying to get through this the best they can. The banks are trying to be as understanding as possible and give people as much flexibility as they can to work through their changing situation. But as you say, get in front of it, keep them informed, do the right thing, and, and obviously you'll come out the other side of it um, without a, a significant impact on, on future abilities to borrow and things of that nature. Correct. Okay, so if we moved on to the second scenario there where we said we've had a slight drop in income, so instead of working five days, I'm being put down to two or three days because of a decision made by my employer. Um, if I'm looking to refinance things or get a better deal or trying to reduce my payments, because obviously cash flow is one of the key things that people are concerned about when incomes fall. Um, what are some things people can think about there to try and tighten up their position and obviously have as much flexibility as possible? Yeah, all right. Now this question, this basically goes towards the bulk of the, of the community, all right? So um, you just want to be, there's been a slight drop in income, but it's not catastrophic. We just need to tighten our belt in a few places. So the first thing is, if I wanted to refinance for a better deal and put my payments over a longer term and potentially put some things on interest only or um, something like that, is that able to be done? And the answer is yes. All lenders are still lending. Credit policy has changed a little bit in the last month, but not a ridiculous amount. Um, and so long as you can still service your debts over a 30-year term, at a servicing rate, um, there's definitely the ability to do this. Um, and could it take, so, you know, you'd be in an instance where you could lodge potentially a new loan application with a new lender, negotiate a better rate, maybe have it over a longer term, um, and uh, maybe, you know, if you want some of the borrowings on interest only, or if you want to extend some of your interest only investment terms, um, you could certainly do that at the same point in time. Um, it would obviously require a full new application and um, those documents would need to be supplied to make sure that you're a worthy applicant. The turnaround time for this kind of changes to your lending uh, could be anywhere between six and eight weeks, depending on the lender that you wanted to go to. Um, and you would have normal refinancing costs uh, in terms of you know a mortgage discharge from your old lender and and a, uh, maybe some kind of settlement fee from the new lender. Um, however, some lenders at the moment are offering refinance rebates um, to help cover these. Um, so yeah, so there still is the ability to, to, I guess, do a bit of housekeeping and look for a better deal um, and change the term of your payments or the term of your loan um, to be a little bit more flexible. Yeah, look, I think, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that we see with people, obviously, where they've had a change in their income position or there's been a change in interest rate. And obviously, you know, interest rates and the ads on TV are, you know, very topical at the moment because everybody's touting 
you know, the lowest rate, the best rate. And I think we generally need to sort of say to people that everybody's position is slightly different. And obviously you need to be able to talk to somebody that can get you with a lender that understands your position. And I think dealing with third parties such as yourself, that is one of the greatest attributes and the service provisions that, that you provide is, is understanding the risk and the lending appetite of a particular lender for somebody's occupation, position or debt level. Because the cheapest rate may be out there on the, on, on the news or it's in the newspaper, but for your occupation, your level of debt and a range of other factors, it may not be something that's viable for you because your occupation may not be in the environment or the, the, the space that a certain lender wants to be able to take on board. And, you know, do you find that that's part of the, I guess, the skill set that you build up over time? Because you said earlier, you see a lot of loans and you do a lot of transactions. You learn where people fit with different lenders so that they can get what they need. Look, absolutely. Um, you know, different lenders are treating clients differently at this point in time. And to a degree, they always do. Um, but certainly now is the time more than ever where you need to get that advice because if you're in, if you have a, a commission component to your income, or if you have a bonus component to your income, or you're in an industry that may or may not be affected, um, lenders are going to go and ask different questions depending on that lender's credit criteria. For example, before I took this meeting with you, I was having a chat to a, to a, a a credit file manager at a lender and my particular applicant is a commercial leasing expert with a large firm and the, the credit file assessor wanted to double check the specifics of his job because obviously they know today real estate agent income is is affected he's in the real estate industry but is he affected or not right can you show me bank statements showing his last salary credit. Can you show me his last pay slip, showing his last salary credit, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you need to know what different lenders are gonna ask and, and getting that advice from someone on the ground that deals with all the lenders that can give tailored advice to your income, your employment, your specific set of circumstances is really important, probably more important than ever right now. Yeah, look, mate, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, where, things are industry specific. I think that is one of the greatest things that, that going to a mortgage broker gives you the ability for them to go to the, the, you know, the open market as opposed to going directly to one lender and understanding the appetite and the functionalities and the benefits of something simple like with one lender, you can have one offset account. With another lender, you can have 10. Now, yeah. for the people that like having multiple accounts for different things, wonderful. You're about meeting the needs and delivering the product and the service that obviously gets the best outcome for people, which ultimately is, is, is what they're after. Um, so let's move to the third scenario then. So no change in my income, but I'm thinking about trying to sharpen the rate. I've seen something on the TV. I may have some debts I want to consolidate. Um, how can I get myself in a better cash flow position? Because obviously everybody loves a rate saving. Um, you know, it wouldn't, be a, it wouldn't be an Aussie out there that doesn't love borrowing more than they need. Um, yeah. And obviously, when when rates fall over time, in, in light of the environment that we're in, um, what 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 is a normal rate? And obviously, you know, what should people be considering? Be it variable or be it interest only? You know, in the current environment. Yeah, look, that's a, a very good question. So I suppose first of all, you cover all the dot points that we also covered in in step two, which is you know have a look at refinance, have a look at fixed, um, potentially, as you said bring our payments down by consolidating debts um, and look for a better deal. 
then what is a better deal? So if you're looking at a two-year fixed rate home loan at the moment, the rates are from 2.09 to 2.29 with almost all major lenders. Um, so that's pretty cheap. Um, <laughs> so um, if you don't like the idea of fixing because you believe the RBA is going to you know, move downwards or there could be a downward pressure on variable rates, um, most uh, lenders have variable rates at the moment at, uh, at approximately 2.69 through to 2.99, uh, and that's fully packaged. So that's on an annual package with an offset account or multiple offset accounts and a linked credit card free of charge, it's full bells and whistles type lending. So, um, you know, money has never been cheaper. I, I really don't um, have any uh, owner-occupied clients that need to pay an interest rate over three percent, which I, you know, think is just amazing. Um, now, as far as kind of investors go, um, there there is amazingly good two-year fixed rates for investors. They do range pretty widely, um, so but definitely early early threes for those. Um, if you're looking for variable, most lenders are mid threes. The the scope the, the band of pricing on that is a bit broader than the owner-occupied rates, um, but they're the general things to think of if you want principal and interest investment, early threes, if you want interest-only investment and variable, um, more towards your mid to late threes. But still, once again, under 4% for mm. all investment loans. Yeah. The average investment property, if you, if you think, well, what can I do with this money? The average investment property gives you a 4 to 4.5% return, depending on where it is. Yeah. Um, some as some as much as five percent in certain locations. Pretty much, that's cash flow positive, off mm. the bat, right then and there. So, um, it 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 does make uh, very interesting times as yeah. far as if you can get the money, what can you do with it? And I think that's probably the next part of, you know, what we should cover is mm. if nothing has changed in your particular situation, and you're feeling confident about your future incomes, then the question is, okay, well, can I go out? Um, you know, you'd have a lot of clients, Luke, at the moment that are looking at the share market and thinking, oh, my God, now is the time to get in mm. on a long-term buy and hold. Correct. Let me tell you, next year will be the time that people will look at property and think now is the time to get in on a long-term buy and hold. You know, as, as Warren Buffett says, you don't buy a farm because you think it's going to rain next week. Um, but you know, if you can select a good asset at a, at a reasonable price that you think's got 10-year or 5 to 10-year prospects, um, you know, next year is going to be the year to do it. So um, if you've got equity in your home, if you've got good solid income, start to think about putting yourself in a position where maybe you might want to capitalise on what's going to happen next year. And that is still 100% banks are still open for business in that aspect. Um, they're also open for business for your clients, Luke, that think, well, maybe I might want to take a $100,000 line of credit on my home or term loan in my home and go and put it in the share market um, because I've got, you know, a five or 10-year plan there. Um, they're still open for that kind of business as well. So if you've got equity, um, the bank will still certainly leverage against it. If you've got income, they will still certainly um, lend against it. So although we spent the first two sections of this video talking about 
what happens if something adverse is happening to me. I think we also need to cover off what's happening if nothing adverse is going to happen to me and what are my opportunities? And the opportunities are still there from a lending perspective. Yeah, look, I think that's I think that's really, really prevalent because I've always been a big advocate of having the right facilities in place. And I know on the on the radio show on Two Double C, we speak regularly about you know making sure you have your offset accounts or a redraw facility or your line of credits in place because you know you look at the the share market over the last sort of three to four weeks, we've seen 15, 20, 30 percent swings in individual stocks. And if you're that way inclined um, and want to have a bit of a punt, having access to some money at short notice is a really, really good way of doing that. I think it's also very prevalent, as you say, if nothing's changed in relation to your occupation and you're thinking about buying cars and you're thinking about buying investment properties or, you know, having a dabble at different things in relation to certain speculations, you know, we, we, you've just given us some examples there of, you know, worst case scenario, we're talking mid threes, um, which three, four, five years ago, you know, you'd have dreamed about. And now people are trying to split hairs over half a percent to get under three in some situations. Nothing ever, nothing bad ever came from having a line of credit in place so you could be proactive at short notice because, and what do they say? The house of your dream pops up once a month when you're looking for something. <laughs> is that, is that yeah. what you're As someone in the industry, I would think that the house of your dreams does pop up once a month. Well, there you uh, go. I think as soon as you start looking, you start seeing more and more of it. It's a bit like buying a new car. As soon as you buy a new car, you see it everywhere. You have this heightened focus in relation to what you want. Um, now, we just touch on that in relation to, you know, obviously offset accounts and interest only. I'm in, in certain situations a big advocate of, again, trying to control interest payments and, and having interest only with an offset account. And I know the general conception out there is when I raise that with people, they go, oh, no, 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 I don't want interest only, I want to pay it off. But that's where having an offset account and the correct structure can be really, really powerful because any money that sits in the offset account is effectively a repayment of the outstanding loan. And the best part about having a line of credit on an interest-only basis is that you only pay for what you draw. So what we mean by that is if you had a $100,000 facility and you said you wanted to go and buy some Commonwealth Bank shares, for example, you can draw $20,000 out of that line of credit and you only incur an interest charge on the 20 that's been taken because you haven't accessed the other 80,000. So, you know, I know you've done a very good job for us in the past of making people aware of that and obviously dissecting the difference between offset and redraw because they are different. Um, and a lot of people make the assumption that, oh, yeah, they're same, same, but different um, when they are actually very, very separate things. Um, maybe just touch on that in relation to the difference between offset and redraw as we are in that sort of chat about using access in, in equity for, for investment. Yeah, sure. So the, the clearest way to think about this is what does an ideal structure look like? So if, if we've got, you know, John and Jane Smith and they've got a $600,000 property um, and they want to access equity against that property, let's say they've got a $200,000 home loan and they'd like to get $100,000 for future investment, it would make sense that we would keep the home loan separate and put that on principal and interest. And if they want to access that $100,000, we should do that as a separate loan that is clearly identified for the purpose of future investment. Now, as it's clearly identified for the purpose of future investment, lenders have no problem putting that on five-year interest-only terms. They've got no problem putting a corresponding offset account against that loan. Um, they've got no problems with 
um, John and Jane Smith drawing down the $100,000 on the day of settlement and depositing the $400,000 in the offset account, enabling any money that gets drawn from the offset account used for those investments to be able to trigger interest on that loan and therefore all of that loan, that $100,000 loan, that interest only loan with offset is tax deductible against the income of whatever they've, they've, they've purchased or that income producing asset. So um, just having that, that clear structure of, if you can imagine own occupied debt over here, investment debt over here, and having the ability to just completely have that money offset until such time as you use it, and then when you use it, you'll then incur the interest. Um, and you can also have offset again over here. You can have multiple offset accounts. Um, so, you know, the wages sit in this bucket, um, and, and the, the money for future investments, it's in this bucket. So. Hmm. And I think, look, I think that's a really good point because having access to capital also allows you to then take advantage of other strategies. So leading into 30 June, if you wanted to maximise your concessional contribution cap, throw some extra money in the super, having that line of credit or that facility there in offset is, is really, really flexible and because you can pull some money out of that, you can put it into superannuation, you can claim 100% of that money as a tax deduction. And you haven't had to worry about foregoing fortnightly wages through what was traditionally known as a, a salary sacrifice strategy. It really lets you focus all of your debt repayments on the non-deductible side, which is obviously what we want where we have a home loan. And then with that line of credit that is investment purposes, you could go out and buy some shares. You could go out and buy you know, a neutrally geared property. Because as you said earlier, with, with yields and rents with where they are, um, you know, having something that's neutrally geared is, is far better than it being negatively geared when you start to talk about accumulating multiple assets because there's less need for you to kick the can, as they say, with personal income to keep the thing going and, and cover any shortfall. So I think the imp most important thing that people can have in place is the correct structure with the right setup because it'll also save you a fortune at tax time because your accountant will love the fact that you can say, hey, on the left-hand side, this is all investment. And on the right-hand side, this is all personal. And it'll save you, you know, garbage bags full of bank statements and, you know, a lot of accounting and, and, and cost for them trying to decipher what was what and where the money came from. Um, yeah. Because it's, it's obviously access to something is really, really important. And, you know, as I say, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of having a facility there, even if you don't use it. Because you never know when, you know, for, for argument's sake, you might want to buy a new car. Something blew up. The washing machine's gone. The, the, the filter on your pool's, you know, blown up over summer. You know, these things happen, right? And having that facility there just says, well, I don't have to go down the personal loan rate because it's going to be obviously more than securing something against your home. I don't have to max out a credit card because those rates are going to be ridiculous and compound out of control. I think having that facility there is the cheapest way that anybody could ever want to try and fund something and as you said before, if we've got good cash flow and nothing's changed, you're only incurring an interest cost for the time that you borrow it. So as long as you're a diligent saver and you have all of your income coming out of that offset account, you'll actually eat into that debt very, very quickly and be able to then use it for other things because you borrow, you repay. You borrow, you repay. And I think having it there is far better than needing it and not having it. Um, and also then looking at the interest costs on other alternatives such as personal loans and, and, and credit cards. Yeah, I always like to look at, with my clients, if we've got an owner-occupied debt and they say, oh, you know, I'd like a little bit of buffer with that, you know, how much buffer should I have? 
what I usually do is say, well, if we had six months buffer, that'd be perfect. You know, there's not many problems in life that you can't solve if you had six months buffer. Yeah. So we have a look at what six months of their household living expenses are. So mum and dad, two kids, that's probably, you know, four to $5,000 a month. So therefore we need immediately $30,000 in buffer. And then if we have a look at what their um, home loan repayments are for six months, we add that up, that might be, you know, $3,000 a month for six months, that's 18. So, you know, all of a sudden, if, if we just have $50,000 in offset, that's it, problem solved. Never have to worry about money for the rest of our lives. We could stop income tomorrow yep. and don't need a dollar to hit the bank account for six months. Now, if, if you're in that particular situation right now with COVID-19 and you had six months and you knew you had six months income and both yourself and your wife lost your job, would you panic? Would you, be, would you be putting your payments on hold? Would you be putting your credit cards on hold? Would you be um, putting your car loans on hold? You wouldn't because you, you, you know you're comfortable that you've got six months there, net income to, to service the household bills, put food on the table and make sure all the commitments are met for six months. And then if you defer it, if you deferred your, your loan payments by six months, then you've got 12. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the way we come at managing a superannuation portfolio because the one thing that's been thrown around a lot of ladies, well, maybe I can't retire because of COVID-19. But we generally always run 12 to 18 months of pension income in cash within your superannuation fund. So that if this sort of thing happens and I say, well, like you've just said there, you've given us the outside of super environment and the day-to-day -day living strategy, which is you know, completely transferable into the super world because we make sure we have one to two years of pension income so that, you know, when I have a conversation with people and say, you know, are we going to be talking about, you know, coronavirus in 12 to 18 months? Most people go, well, no, nah, it'll pass. It'll, it, you know, it'll, it'll run its course and that'll be that. And that's, that's a great way of looking at the household budget strategy and the way to try and build in that buffer and that ability to access money if you need it, because peace of mind has the hugest amount of value. And obviously, as we've said through most of these sessions, you know, your mental health and, and, and your family's well-being and your relationship with your husband, your wife, your partner, your kids is, is obviously the most important thing. And, you know, finances come under pressure and obviously that then starts to leak out into other areas of your life if you are completely constrained. Now, you and I also spend most of our working lives trying to teach young people how to save and that, that's a discussion for another day. But, you know, I think if, if one of the key things that comes off this rather difficult environment that we're working through at the moment is young people should actually see now that you know what you've just said is very very prevalent and you know the the assumption that you'll always have a job has just been defunct um and the, the ability to actually make sure you've got money to live on and and have that is, is is more important than ever um because this is just a taste of you know what could happen in the future yeah absolutely yeah I think, I think, mate, we'll leave it there for today. I know we've got a second series coming up next week um, and we're going to talk about how to structure loans, whether we go interest only, whether we go variable. Um, so, mate, thank you very much for your time. And, look, if anybody's got any questions, they want to reach out and have you look at their current situation, how can, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, look, absolutely. You can contact us uh, here at the Trilogy office, 1300 657 132, uh, or you can reach out by email. That's david.thomas at trilogyfunding.com.au. Just Google Trilogy Funding. Uh, we come up as uh, Canberra's number one mortgage broker in, in uh, most Google searches. Right, and is it true you were the uh, the number one broker in the ACT 
for uh, uh, 2019. <laughs> that is true. 2019, number one broker in the ACT, number uh, 18 nationally. So. Well, look, you know, as I said earlier, if you can't get it, it either can't be got or you don't deserve it. So, you know, I think that's a... <laughs> Mate, that's that's you know that's a that's a huge accolade to have, and obviously, given the volume of, of, of work that you and your team do, you know, it's it's a testament to the the quality of, of the service that you provide. So, you know, if you're out there and you've got a current situation and you're not sure about whether you can get that sharper rate or whether you can have four offset accounts with your existing lender, give Dave and the team a call. Um, obviously, you can go in and see them, and uh, you know, if you say that Luke sent you, I'm sure there'll be a bottle of wine coming my way at some point. So. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Um, we'll get you back on. No worries. Thanks, Luke. We'll, um, we'll cover off the characteristics of a good home loan. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, buddy.